Hello, and welcome to the weekly podcast of C2 Church in Columbia, Missouri. Isn't it good to worship together in those moments of, of reflection? We can take a time away from all that burdens us. As Karis talked about the scripture earlier, we lay down the burdens we carry. And let Christ carry that heavy burden. And the burden that he gives for us to carry is to do his will, which is much lighter, much easier. You know, the last several weeks, we as a church, uh, you may be part of this or may not be, but have several reports of, of cancer. Some have been going on for a while. Some are just finding out. Perhaps that's you. Perhaps you've experienced it in your family or some sort of illness. The good report is, the report that I believe is that many of those situations, God is still at work bringing healing, bringing miracle working power in their lives. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome? I don't, I don't know what you're facing. It, it may be cancer. This morning, I want to pray for you. If you're facing illness, if your family's facing some sort of uh, crisis of health, we want to stand with you this morning through prayer and believe that God is still and always at work and he can still do miracles, and he still brings healing. So church, let's pray. Let's pray for those around us that are, are facing that. As we close our eyes this morning, if that's you, just lift your hand as a sign of faith that God is doing his work and bringing healing. Father, you see every hand raised. You see every family that's in need this morning, that need a touch from your hand, your miracle-working hand, Father. We believe that because of Jesus' suffering, it brought healing to our mortal bodies and our spiritual souls. Father, we thank you that we can come to you in the name of Jesus and receive what we ask because of the authority by which we proclaim the healing and receive that healing and ask for that healing. And so we do that this morning. We declare healing for those who need it this morning by the hand of, uh, by your hand, supernaturally through miracle working power. Healing by the hands of doctors because you enable them to do it, Father. We believe and trust you in all things, no matter what the outcome on this physical earth. We believe that you are bringing us to a greater place spiritually. May we learn that through our suffering and embrace it and look to you. For your glory, Father, we ask, and for the good of your people. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. And all God's people said amen together. Amen, so be it. Hey, before you find your seat, why don't you turn to three people, two or three people you don't know, and shake their hand and say, good morning. Well, good morning again, C2. So glad that you're with us as we continue our series called With Room. We're three weeks in. If you haven't been with us for the last two weeks, if you haven't been able to be here, uh, you can get the podcast or actually the, the video from last week. I uh, hope you enjoyed that video. Did you enjoy the video last week? Lie to me if you didn't. Go ahead. That's all right. All right. Well, Darcy and I enjoyed recording it. I uh, hope that you found it helpful in living with room in your family and in your schedule. We've talked about living with room in our, our families and our schedules as well as living with room in our finances. I, I hope you have made room in your schedule to join us for the next classes, which start tonight at 6 p.m. Doors will open at 5.30, as well as the Life Cafe for purchase of uh, snacks and beverages. Um, I, I really would love for you to join us tonight. All of the classes are open 
for you to join. Even if you didn't sign up, thank you for all those who have signed up that have helped us prepare. We've got a uh, parenting class. We've got a class for men, a class for women. We've got a class for kids uh, up to uh, fifth grade. And so I hope you will join us. In fact, I was praying with my son last night, and as we were talking there in his room, he's, he's, he, he got all excited, and I was like, what are you so excited about? And he said, I'm excited about tomorrow. And I was like, well, you excited to go to church? He said, oh, yeah, I'm excited for that. But uh, what else is going on? He's like, I'm excited for tomorrow night for next classes and uh, see two kids next. And so he began to tell me that they're going to do like Play-Doh creations. And he's all excited about learning about the Bible and being able to uh, play with Play-Doh. And, and he said, and you know what? I said, what? He said, the preschool learned about, the preschool is learning about uh, the Ten Commandments. I said, oh, yeah? He goes, yeah, I already know all those. <laughs> I'm like, Very good. I did want to mention that the Financial Peace University, which we actually had closed the registration for, uh, th through uh, Financial Peace University, we've been able to reopen the registration and offer the first class for free. You don't have to, uh, you don't have to do anything. You don't have to sign up. You can show up and check it out. And if you like what you hear and you feel like it will be a good investment of, of the $90, we're going to go ahead and subsidize the cost at the same uh, cost before, $90, and let you sign up. We'll be able to get your, your uh, materials in by class number two. So come on out and check out a class tonight. Again, doors will open at 5.30. So as we've been talking about living with room in our lives, both in our finances and in our family and our schedules, I want to talk today about living with room between you and sin. Living with room between you and sin. And I, I, I want to entitle this one Extra Hot. You know, there's people who order their coffee extra hot. My wife is a former barista, and uh, I discovered this little thing that people tend to, uh, would like to order their coffee extra hot, which does not make any sense to me whatsoever. I mean, it's already boiling hot when, when you get it. Like, it will make the roof of your mouth sting for three days and put blisters on your tongue kind of hot. But people want to order it. So that, what's normal coffee? Like 160, 180 degrees? And they want to order it like 2,000, 2,500 degrees? No, like above 200. I mean, that just seems really silly. If you need two sleeves to just hold your coffee, it's too hot. You shouldn't. And uh, what I love to do is watch people drink hot beverages, that first sip. Right? It's very entertaining. I even, I even watched people this morning. I won't say your name, Dave. But <laughs> I, I watched you this morning. You had the lid on it, and you're doing this. You, you could just sense the fear. <laughs> and you did, a little, you did a little taster, and then you did this. Because <laughs> you're going to cool it down by blowing in that little hole. Not going to work. I have to admit, I, I do like my coffee when I get in the car, I like it a little hot, right? So I let it sit until I'm about to leave. I fill my travel mug, um, which, by the way, if it says spill-proof, <laughs> no, it ain't. <laughs> They're lying to you. I've, I have proven that none of them are spill-proof. Just look at the floor of my car. So I, I put the lid on. I go get in the car. I go to drink it as I'm driving. I'm drinking and driving, and... And I went to take that sip, and I, I even did the little, you know, the prep that you do just before you scald your mouth. And 
it was at that moment I realized that the lid wasn't secured properly. <laughs> Rookie mistake, right? <laughs> Coffee all down the front of me, into my pants, onto the seat. Forget about seat heaters. Man, it got instantly warm. <laughs> Had to turn around and go change, right? Say it was a little more warm than I would have appreciated at that moment. Isn't that, isn't that like sin in our lives? That, that extra hot, that, that sin in our lives. Man, it doesn't take much to get burned. To regret maybe some of the decisions we've made and suffered the consequences. So how do we live with room between us and sin? You know that space between us and sin, that space, that's called temptation. That space between you and sin is called temptation. Let's talk about the source of temptation. You know, as we look through Scripture, you'll find roughly three traditional sources of temptation. And look at the, let's look at the word temptation, the word tempted or, or, or tempt. The, the biblical idea of temptation is, is not primarily one of seduction. But in its modern usage, it is. But Traditionally, it's, a, it's a, a trying or a trial or testing of one's character. It's sort of like taking a test for school to see what you have learned. Temptation is a test. It's only about the 17th century that that word really kind of took on a, an, uh, a negative connotation, sort of uh, with evil intent. But that's not necessarily what the Bible is saying. But temptation clearly is that space between you and sin. Three primary areas of sin that the Bible reveals to us is, one, the world we live in. Listen to what the writer of 1 John, chapter 2, verse 15 through 17, says this. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Do you hear that? The world, the culture, the society, the things that we can touch, touch taste, feel, see around us are tempting to us. They're leading us to believe that we can provide for our own selves, happiness, knowledge, everything that we want to get for ourselves, we see around us. Now, sin is really anything that become, comes between you and God or takes the place of God. Sin is anything that become, comes between you and God or takes the place of God. And certainly our world has offers for us that we can fulfill all of our own needs and desires through it. The second one is the flesh. James chapter 1, verses 13 through 15 says this. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. The Greek word for entice is, is like a hook, like, like fishing. It it's, it's a, it's means to allure or to entrap, to hook. What we find naturally desirable 
things that would bring us pleasure. It's the way we would maybe naturally act or respond to what is around us, to the things we feel and think. This is what we mean by the flesh, things of the natural person. And the third one is the devil. The devil. Now, as much as I believe in God, I believe there's Satan, but I don't believe that Satan is as powerful as God is. Satan is not equally, uh, is not the equal opposite to God. That's not true. His job is to steal, kill, and destroy. That, wha- that is what his sole intent and purpose is. And we see that temptation comes through the devil when we read about Jesus in Matthew chapter 4. The first verse in that uh, chapter says this, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit of God into the wilderness to be tempted or tested by the devil. So while the Spirit of God is leading Jesus, it is Satan that comes to tempt. God is not the tempter. Satan is. And he tempts Jesus according to his weakness and his desire. So Jesus, after 40 days of praying and fasting, is hungry and tired and weak, and Satan comes and says, hmm, there's a stone here. Use your power selfishly to provide for yourself food to eat. He begins to test Jesus in his weakness and his desires. Do you not see that in your own life? Satan tempts us according to his evil desires, according to our natural desires. He wants to make us fall, whether by crushing us under the weight of hardship or pain, or by urging us to fulfill our own needs and natural desires in our own ways, or perhaps by making us complacent, careless, or self-assertive, or maybe by misrepresenting what God has promised, what God has said, or who God is, and engendering these false ideas of what God has said or what God has done. You can go all the way back to Genesis chapter 1 when Eve faces Satan in the first, or the fall of mankind, the first temptation. Did God really say, Satan says to Eve, well, you know, he's trying to keep you from becoming like him and having all these wonderful things. Satan misrepresents God to us and we believe him. So we see these three ways uh, that temptation comes. One of the ways that uh, I see people closing that gap between them and, and sin You know, if if temptation is that space, in Judges chapter 16, we're told of one of the judges of that day. You can can find the story, and that's your homework to go read it. Don't read your Bible during church. Some of you will get that later. But in in chapter 16, we read the story of Samson, who has vowed, taken a vow, and because of his vow, the Spirit of God would come upon him, and he was the strongest man known at the time, did all these exploits. Yet he runs into this young woman named Delilah. Just say that name, Delilah, right? Now, Samson is closing the gap between him and sin in a a couple different ways. First, the Israelites were commanded not to intermarry with the tribes that they were settling amongst, including the Philistines, whom Delilah was one of. 
But Samson liked to play with fire. He liked to close the gap between him and sin because, you know, after all, he's pretty strong and he's done all these great things for God. But he never met somebody like Delilah, right? A young woman who could make him do things he thought he'd never do. Mm, Come on, say amen. Delilah had a different purpose. She was working for the Philistines, and they wanted to destroy their nemesis, Samson. So he's with Delilah. Delilah says, Samson. <laughs> right? That's, that's how it plays out in my mind, right? I'm a, so, Samson, tell me the source of your strength. Well, he says to her, I can obviously trust you. We've been dating for three days. He says, if you bind me with seven fresh thongs. Is that in the Bible? What's the Hebrew word for thong? What does that mean? It means fresh leather straps. Okay, just so we all are on the same page. Because some of you got a visual like, anyway. (laughs) So he falls asleep and she binds him with these leather straps. And then says, Samson, Samson, the Philistines are upon us. He comes to, he breaks the straps, he defeats the Philistines, gives them a beating. And he doesn't leave her. In fact, the Bible says that Delilah says to him, Samson, you deceived me. (laughs) You're right, you did try to kill me. I'm sorry. (laughs) If that doesn't sum up every relationship, I don't know. This is not a marriage seminar. So, He continues with her. He's closing the gap between him and sin. She says, Samson, you know you lied to me about how I could kill you. Please tell me the source of your strength. He says, okay, okay. If you take brand new ropes and bind me, I will lose all my power. Okay. You want some turkey and warm milk? (laughs) He falls asleep again, and she binds him with ropes. How deep of a sleeper is Samson? And she wakes him again. Samson, Samson, the Philistines are upon us. And he he comes to, he breaks the rope, he defeats the Philistines. Samson, you lied to me again. You're making killing you very difficult. (laughs) He says to her, I took a vow never to put a razor to my head. And this vow was to the Lord. You were to cut my hair, I would lose all my strength. See, Samson's strength wasn't in his hair. Thank God. (laughs) (laughs) You don't have to laugh so hard. (laughs) The strength was in his vow to the Lord, who he had committed his life to. And while he slept, she gave him a haircut, and he lost all his strength. Samson, Samson, the Philistines are upon you, and when he woke, the Bible says he had no strength. The Philistines bound him, dragged him out, plucked out his eyes, enslaved him. You see, the thing about sin is it will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and make you pay a price you don't want to pay. Samson learned that when he closed the gap between him and sin, when he continued to 
mess with temptation. It was going to lead him someplace that he never thought he would go. Let's talk about the inevitability of temptation. Listen, temptation will come. Everyone will face it. There's not one exception, not even Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. He was tempted. We will all be tempted. Listen to what Paul the Apostle writes to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 12 and 13. He says, so if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. Listen to that warning. In fact, my Bible has an exclamation point. If it was a text message, it would be in all caps. If you think you're standing firm, watch out. Be careful. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. There's a promise in that, but there's a warning. Temptation happens to everybody, but be careful. I will say this. Everyone is tempted, but not everyone is tempted in the same way. So what might be tempting to you may not be tempting to me. What you might be uh, enticed to put into your life that would replace God or stand in the way between you and God, I, I may not struggle with and vice versa. So we have to account for that. How do you need to walk? If temptation is the space between you and sin, sometimes the temptation is to go after what looks easy. What's easier in life? Well, it's easier to stay at work a, a little bit longer. And, and I know that, that pretty young girl is there too. And we just hang out a little bit longer. It's, it's easier to do that than to go home and work on my marriage. And spend time with my family and build a strong family. Now the grass is greener on the other side, right? As I recently read because that just means you need to water the grass on your side of the fence. But that takes work. And the temptation is to, to cheat to get ahead, to, to take the shortcuts, to, to do what's easy, fast, and quick instead of what is right and just. It looks, it's what looks good in the moment. What will bring me pleasure now? What will gratify me now? What will reward me now? What does that look like for you? Just take that moment. What, what areas in your life do you find yourself tempted? And you're moving towards sin, a break in your relationship with God our Father. So here's the answer to temptation. So we read 1 Corinthians 10, 12, and 13, but we didn't finish end of 13. Listen to how verse 13 ends. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. I want to point out a couple things about this scripture. I often hear this scripture quoted like this. Well, you know God will never give me more than I can handle or bear. I'm sorry to burst your bubble. <laughs> he will. In fact, life will dole out a lot of things that you can't handle that you think will crush you and, in fact, may just crush you. This scripture is not speaking about that. Our hope in those moments is Christ and Christ alone. When you face the struggles and, and, and the circumstances of life that seem to crush you, embrace it. 
Embrace that God is in that moment with you. He's not abandoned you. He's still and always at work in the moment that you feel life's situations crushing you. But this verse talks about temptation specifically. That while you are being tempted, as everyone else is tempted, there's a way out. That God is faithful in every moment to provide for you a way to endure it. That word means to stand up underneath the pressure. God is faithful to do that for you and for me. So it says when you are tempted, he will provide that way because he is that way through the person of Jesus Christ. That's our way. We can stand up beneath the pressure of temptation. Because of what Jesus did. Listen, the goal isn't just behavior modification. Well, if I just avoid anything that makes me feel good or looks good, or that's not it. The goal is holiness. Holiness is the goal. Holiness is the goal because holiness is the only thing that will lead us to God. And holiness comes through Jesus. Listen, it's increased space between you and sin. That's holiness. Because it's, it means decreased space between you and God. You see how that works? If I have a lot of space between me and sin, there's a lot of room for temptation. That means me and God are close to us. But when that distance between me and God starts to increase, guess guess what that means? It means sin is knocking at my door. It means I'm a lot closer to that. You can't chase Jesus and sin at the same time. Holiness is the goal. And wisdom is the key. Wisdom is the key. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 17. Paul writes to the church in Ephesus. He says, be careful, very careful, then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Listen, when Paul is writing to the churches in Corinth and Ephesus, they're living in an evil, over-sexualized culture. Can't imagine what that's like. I imagine it's very similar to the days we live in now. And he's saying, be very careful how you live. And the three words that kind of bring us to an intersection here are wisdom, opportunity, and God's will. Wisdom. What, what does it mean to be wise? You know, in youth ministry and in parenting, you know that when kids are young, you teach them good and bad. Here's the rules. Here's how we live. Here's the boundaries. It's very concrete. But as you grow, things, there's the gray areas and all these, oh, how, do I, how do I navigate this? So it's got to be more than just good or bad. Wisdom is asking the questions, the right questions. Is this wise? Is this something I should be doing? Wisdom is this. It's judi- judicious application of knowledge. It's a deep understanding and realization of people, things, events, situations, resulting in the ability to apply your perception. Where does it come from? Well, the Bible says in Proverbs 9, 10. I'll tell you what, read the book of Proverbs. It's all about chasing wisdom, getting wisdom. It says, Proverbs 10, 9, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. The whole book of Proverbs is talking about chasing wisdom down like a treasure because it will lead your life. Scripture earlier says, don't love the the ways of our world and our culture. Don't love the world's goods. 
Because when you start to love the world, it squeezes out love of the Father. Asking what is wise. What is wise? Wisdom is this. It's understanding God's ways and His will. Wise people look for God's ways and His will in every opportunity. In every situation in life, I'm asking, God, what are your ways? What is your will? You could, you could insert the word discernment here. It's asking, what does God want and how does he want me to do it? What does God want and how does he want me to do it? Why is this important? Well, I, I, see, I see in Samson's life that in his strength, he was weak. And in Jesus' temptation, when he was weak, he was strong. Samson relied on his own strength. Jesus relied on the strength of the Spirit of God in him. And I see a pattern in Jesus, that he gained wisdom through time with God. That's one of the keys to gaining wisdom, is time with God. You know, our desires flow out of the condition of our heart. And so our heart needs to be conditioned somehow and it always is it's conditioned by the things you watch things you read things you listen to and the things of our culture are not bombarding us with things of god it's telling us all these lies and messages and we constantly condition our heart with this instead of conditioning it through time with our father the thing about wisdom is uh, writer of james james 1 chapter 5 says if any of you lacks wisdom he should ask god who gives it generously without finding fault, and he will give it to you. When I, when I start my prayers each day, I say, God, give me wisdom. Help, let me know your ways and your will. And I think when you look at the life of Jesus, he closed the gap between him and the Father so that there was great distance between him and sin. The, the room for temptation was great. And we say, well, Jeremy, Jesus was perfect. Yeah, but he had to live that life. Well, he was the son of God. Yes, but we believe that Jesus, though he was fully God, was fully human. That means he had to learn how to operate within the human condition. He had to deal with temptations. And he chose, by priority of schedule and life, to spend time with the Father. Condition his heart. He chose to pray. Or maybe sometimes when you pray, it, it seems like this. Show that video. Well, I don't know if that's how you pray, you and Jesus meet in a coffee shop, but I mean, Jesus spent plenty of time in prayer. And I think if we learn anything from the life of Jesus, he spent time alone in prayer. He knew the scripture. If you want to know God's ways and his will, it's in the Bible. Read it, study it. That's why times like the weekend together is good, because we hear from God. Not from me, but from his words. And we learn how to apply it. We study it together. We, we hear what God is saying to us collectively and then to us individually. That's why life groups are important. You get together with people to study the scriptures in a small group. To pray, read the Bible, and rest. And people make so many decisions out of their lack instead of out of their abundance. 
when you take time to rest, when you schedule rest in your life, whether it's, it's the Sabbath day, whatever that day is for you to rest, if that's Sunday or if it's Saturday afternoon, to give your body, your mind, your heart rest. The other thing I would say is create space between you and sin. How do you do that? Well, I think one, time, uh, w- one thing is to recognize those times when you are weak. What are those times for you? Maybe times when you're angry, you're hurt, you're lonely, you're frustrated. What are those times of temptation that maybe you make unwise decisions? What does that look like? Can you guard against it? Can you build systems? Can you take moments in in those times to rest and create space around yourself and say, I'm not going to do, say, anything. I'm not going to make any decisions. The Bible says this, and this scripture scared me as a kid. The Bible says, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Jesus was speaking in a hyperbole there. If there are things in your life that are leading you to sin, cut it out of your life. There are so many things in our lives. I don't know what it is for you, but when we fill our lives with messages from our culture that have nothing to do with God, we constantly bombard ourselves with it, we are not going to chase after the things of God. We disregard His will and His ways because we don't care and we don't even know it. We know the ways of our world. Cut it out. It means cutting out certain places that you go, certain people, certain times. What does that look like? In your, in your home, the internet is a great resource for all sorts of wonderful things as well as wicked things. Guard yourself and guard your children. Install the proper filters and, and be watchful of that. You know, some of the things we do in uh, well, things I've done in my life that we've instituted here in our offices. When you come into our offices, our computers, for the most part, face a door. So when you walk in, there's none of the, oh, I, you can see what I'm doing, what I'm looking at. There's some accountability built into that. My wife has all of the passwords to every email I have, to every device that I own. I don't have any hidden areas. Guys, if you can't trust your wife with that, what is it for you? Last thing is this, put up barriers. It is worth laying down your pride and the embarrassment to say, you know what, I put filters on, I put passwords, I give my wife my passwords. I would rather suffer the embarrassment in this world than experience the loss in the next world. It's of eternal value to set up barriers between you and sin so that you trip and stumble now instead of trip and stumble into something later. What does that look like for you? Build relationships of accountability. Have someone that's checking in on you, that's asking you the tough questions. Someone that you fear a little bit. I hope that's helpful. Because again, the goal is behavior modification. It's holiness. That you might chase Jesus. 
and chase after the things that would make you more like him. Church, would you stand as we close this morning? Thanks for listening, but most of all, I, I hope that God has spoken to you and that you've heard him speak to you. This, mo- this morning as we close, two things. One, I'm going to pray for, for you, whatever that temptation is, that God will grant you the wisdom as you seek it. But the first question I want to ask this morning is have you made the decision to follow Christ with your life? That's the most eternal, eternally important decision you can make. And church, with your eyes closed and your heads bowed in this eternal moment, I'm going to ask, as I do every week, if you are here and you've never made a decision to follow Christ with your life, to trust the work that he did, living a perfect life, dying in your place and rising again to give you new life, if you've never trusted in Jesus in that way, Today is your moment. In just a second, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm not going to point you out or embarrass you, but we're going to pray with you. As many of us in this room have prayed that prayer to start that journey of faith towards life in Christ. If that's you, would you raise your hand in this moment? I'm going to pray with you. Anybody else? Anybody else? In church, in just a moment, we're going to lift our voices together and repeat a prayer together, and then I'm going to pray for you in whatever situations, circumstances, and temptations you're praying. But would you repeat after me out loud, church, with all those who raised their hands this morning, say, Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus to live a perfect life, to die in my place, to rise again, to give me new life. I receive that gift, come into my life, and lead me. I trust you, Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray. And Father, I thank you for every person that hears your words this morning and puts them into practice, that responds to what your Holy Spirit is saying to them today. Father, would you cause them to guard their hearts and their minds? Give them wisdom and discernment to recognize temptation that is leading them to sin. Give them wisdom in how they respond to that. Would you cause our hearts to be drawn to you, that we would be so captured by your love, by your grace, be in awe and wonder of you, that the things of this world would fade in comparison. It would lose all its pleasure and enticement because we've fallen for you. Because our hearts are so captured by you. Jesus, bless your people as we chase after you this week. We'd be salt and light in this world. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen, church. Thanks for being here today. We love you. Look forward to seeing you tonight at 6 o'clock for next. Hey, we're so glad you listened in. If you made a decision to follow Christ today or would like more information, please email us at nextsteps at c2church.com or visit us at c2church.com.